So you're a, <clears throat> you're a follower of Jesus. The teacher is dead. Think about what might have crossed the hearts, the minds, the fears of the followers of Jesus, those first followers of Jesus. Over the last week, um, last Sunday morning and on Wednesday evening, we heard a lot about uh, the crucifixion. And think with me, just think with me about what might have crossed their minds. So uh, they saw the rabbi, their teacher, the one who was going to lead them from oppression, from the places of oppression, was going to lead them into a different way. And, and they, they saw him die. They saw him die. And the next day was a Sabbath, so the whole world rested. I don't think they probably went to synagogue that morning. I think they probably gathered together and wrestled with the idea that he's gone. He's gone. Yeah, he had said something about coming back, uh, uh, resurrection, but he's gone. I wonder what they thought. I wonder what they felt. I wonder how it. I wonder if Peter said, "Well, what do you guys think?" Or John kind of quietly said, "Oh, all those times, and he's gone." Now, is there any doubt that Jesus died? There is just not any doubt. Uh, there have been claims over the years that Jesus wasn't really dead, uh, and we'll look at those claims in a bit. But just put yourself in their shoes. And then, early uh, the morning of the first day, when they were thinking about going back to work, suddenly, one of the women, who had been a follower along with them, came running and told Peter and John. I want you to notice the language that John uses. I'm not going to reread what uh, Chris read, but I want you to notice the language because it is important. It's important what the story of Scripture says. I want you to notice that Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. It was still dark. She got there, and she saw, and by the way, the tomb was guarded by soldiers, by a group of soldiers, an elite guard. They would have been elite special forces that were guarding the, were guarding the tomb. And she got there, and she saw the stone had been taken away. And she, oh, no, now what? So she ran and, and got Peter. You can imagine Peter and John were apparently together. It isn't clear if all the disciples were together, but they were, they were there. They were together. And uh, Peter and John, she came running and knocked on the door and said, Peter, Peter, they've taken him away. And then the, John records very carefully. Notice what John records very carefully. So they, Peter and John ran. They ran. Um, and uh, verse 4, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So who is the other disciple here? John. John doesn't want to brag. He's kind of like us. He's full of humility and says, but I could run faster than Peter. And uh, he outran Peter and got there. But John did not go into the tomb. That's really, really important. John didn't go into the tomb. 
John looked in, and he waited till Peter got there. John is very clear to record that. So he got there, and uh, when Peter came huffing and puffing in behind, they looked in, uh, and then they went in together. Then Simon Peter came following him, uh, sorry, uh, verse uh, 6, came following him and went into the tomb. This is from John 20. So Peter went in, and the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, it says. So I went back through all four Gospels, the account of the resurrection, and there is no time, or there is, there is no, no one went in alone. That's really important, because if Peter could have gone in alone, if Peter would have gotten there first and went in alone, the uh, people could claim, well, Peter carried his body off. There is an eyewitness account. There are, there are multiple eyewitness accounts on every front. If you, if you look at um, Matthew, uh, the two women came and looked in. There was two of them. And they also indicate there that the guard, the Jewish and Roman leaders together went to the guard and said, What happened? And they said, This bright light came down and the stone rolled. We don't know what happened. We were like dead. And these are the elite special forces. And, and the... And the um, well, we should just look at that. Now, this is, uh, I, I just noticed this again this morning. Next day, that is after the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how this imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first one. Pilate said, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as they can. So they went and came and made the, the uh, tomb very secure. Then in chapter 28 of Matthew it says, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. When they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away. Let me ask you a question. Do you pay somebody off to tell the truth? You don't pay someone off to tell the truth. If Jesus is truly dead, they wouldn't have paid the guard off. And and, in all four Gospels, it is very clear, it makes it very clear, that not one person could have gone in and removed Jesus' body and therefore perpetrated the greatest hoax of of all history. I think it is important for us to understand the reality of the resurrection means that Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. That he was dead and that he rose from the dead. Because if he didn't, if the resurrection is a hoax, then Christianity is like Buddhism and and Islam and all the other religions of the world. They have a dead God, a dead teacher. And is there any question, the the gospel also makes it very clear that he died. Uh, By the way, not even his worst enemies, the Jews and the Romans, denied that he died. And they also didn't deny that the tomb was empty. Uh, 
if for some strange reason the Jewish authorities or the Roman authorities would have removed the body of Jesus and then his followers went around and said, look, he rose from the dead, don't you think they would have produced the dead body? Sure they would have. Um, the armed guard made so his followers could not have stolen the body. Uh, and then there are six independent witnesses, at least six independent witnesses in the scriptures that record the fact that, uh, that he appeared to them over uh, 11 separate incidents. Six independent witnesses also being like the group of disciples together. And, and I, why is all this important? Because in our world today, one of the, the things that is often said about Christianity is it's good moral things, but... I, I would argue that Christianity is about the power of Jesus over death. The power of Jesus over death. That is at the core of Christianity. The fact that Jesus died for us and that he rose again from the dead. And if we lose sight of that as his people, we have nothing to offer. So, so think about with me this change in these people. So Peter. Peter so Peter comes running uh, he, John beats him to the tomb, but Peter goes in. And, and a few days later, Jesus, or Jesus then appears to the twelve. But a few days later, the Holy Spirit comes down on Peter, and it absolutely revolutionizes Peter. I just read in Acts, uh, I think Acts 18, or one of those places. I, I, I wrote it down here. I'll make sure I get you, give you the right scripture. The, the account, Acts 12, where Jesus, or Peter, is taken prisoner for preaching so boldly. And he's laying in prison, and suddenly he's laying in prison, and, a, and this angel appears to Peter and smacks him with a sword and says, Get up! And Peter gets up, and the chains fall away, and Peter walks out of the prison. This is a completely different Peter than the one who's hiding in the garden. And they're, they're saying, uh, Now, aren't, oh, wait, aren't you one of his followers? And Peter says, Me? No, 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 no. Not, I'm not one of them. And they say, well, now wait a minute. Weren't you there? Didn't we see you there? No, no, I don't know the man. And all this time there's this charcoal smoke coming up and Peter's smelling and feeling everything. And finally the third time, Peter realizes, uh, or the, the servants, uh, one of the servants says, no, wait, your speech betrays you. You sound like a hick from Galilee. Uh, aren't you one of his followers? And they, he said, no, I am not. I'm not one of his followers. So, so that's Peter. And after the resurrection, Peter is in prison. He has preached so strongly and so powerfully that he's put in prison. And he thinks he's going to die, but he's in prison and he doesn't care anymore. And the angel comes along and smacks him and Peter walks out and everybody's like dead men around him. Can you imagine? I, I love that scene. Like, what happened? The chains, did they come off his wrist or uh, whatever? But it, the, the change in Peter's life is reflective of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And now, the question for you and for me is, does that same change reflect in the way you live? Do the people in your world know that Jesus rose from the dead? So how does the resurrection affect my world? Please turn with me now to um, 1 Corinthians 15. And I, I want to read from verse, well, I'll read from verse 1 and just read a few verses. Then we'll go back and read John 20. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, 
which you receive, in which you stand. And by which you are being saved. Note that. By which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now when Paul uses this language of first importance, he is saying this is at the core of the gospel. This is at the heart of what makes us Christian. It is at the heart of what makes us different than the Jews and the Romans. It's at the heart of what makes us different from anyone else. It's at the heart of what makes Christianity different from Buddhism and Islam and moral uprightness or anything else. This is it. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. He goes on and talks about this. And so Paul's thought isn't done yet, and we'll, we'll read the end, the end of his thought here in, at the end of the chapter. But he's saying, of first importance is the fact that Jesus died and rose again. And brothers and sisters at Providence this morning, this is so freeing, because this is the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died for you and for me, and that he rose again, which gives us power over sin, power over death, and power over fear. The three plagues of humanity, the three plagues of humanity are fear, sin, and death. They are what plague all of us. They are what scare all of us. And Jesus, by his resurrection, conquers them. Now, if you go to the end of the chapter, Paul says this. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. The risen Christ is what gives us victory. Now back to John 20. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Verse 11. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the foot. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus said to me, Marcus. He looks us in the eyes and says, I am he.
She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and said, stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the hands, see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my fingers into the mark of the nails, and place my hands into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here, see my hands. Put out your hand, place it at my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Then Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what difference does this make in our lives today? When you look at the lives of these people hiding in the room and, and suddenly going to being the boldest people ever, it shows that Jesus' resurrection has power over fear. And I don't know, I know what my fears are, and you know what your fears are, and we all have them. How is it that Jesus can overcome those fears? And it, it is, I, I can, I, I have a lot of, well, let's just say, I have a lot of fears. And sometimes I'm paralyzed by my fears. Now, I'm not scared of the dark. In fact, I kind of like when it's dark outside and you can look at the stars. I'm scared of other things. I'm scared of people. I'm scared of what people think about me. I'm scared of those kinds of things. I hope I am with people who know what I'm talking about here. You have fears? I, 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 have, uh, I have fears of the unknown. I have, I have fears of failure. And I have all these fears. How is it that Jesus practically, how does his resurrection overcome those? And I was thinking about that. And if, if we can truly experience the presence of Jesus in our hearts and let him speak to our hearts in those moments, and we very tentatively put out our feet and move forward into the face of those fears, it will revolutionize the world. You know what the world is looking for? It is looking for a group of people who will move into their fears and bring change into the world. It's exactly what the disciples did. They're scared. But yet they go because they have something bigger inside of them. Jesus' death also gives us freedom from the power of sin. C.S. Lewis says this, Jesus forced open the door 
that had been locked since the death of the first man, Adam. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history opens right here. And so, the, the sting of death is sin. The power of death is sin. And all of us wrestle with this. What would it look like if we would regularly and openly and honestly admit, I struggle in this area. I have failed in this area. Jesus, I need your help. I think sometimes we, we, we think uh, we have got to complicate it. It's not that complicated. Tell Jesus what your fears are and tell him what you're struggling with. Just tell him. Invite him into those places and then listen. It's that easy. There is no 12 steps. There is no training regime for this. It is simply confessing and following. Now, is that difficult sometimes? As the disciples would find out, yes. But there is one inalienable right that is given to all of those who are followers of the way, and that is power over death. Death is the final enemy of man. We all wrestle against it. We work at unaging ourselves. Taking away the wrinkles. Taking care of the gray hair. Or the loss of hair. We, we, the, the whole world is consumed with removing the power of death in our lives. And let me tell you the most freeing thing. Jesus has the power over death. If you're a Christian, I expect you've heard this before. But if you're like me and most Christians I know, you struggle to kind of let this truth penetrate deep into you. And I only know my own stories, so I will just tell one of them. I, I, when my father died, I saw, and when, when I've been around people who are followers of the way, and by the way, that is how the first Christians called themselves, followers of the way. Because they believe that this is much more than a church. It is a way. It is a, it, it's not organized. It is about following Jesus in the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But particularly, I noticed that when my father died, the lack of the fear of death, he suddenly, he had seen a vision of heaven. He had seen into the place where he was going. He nearly died twice. And in those two moments, he had seen into the places where he wanted to go. And all the things of this world meant nothing anymore to him. Because he had seen a glimpse of what was coming. He had seen a glimpse of what true life is, life over death. And as we who remain on earth saw him go, we kept seeing him raise his hands like this. And my mother asked him, do you see Jesus? And he said, yes. And he just wanted to go. That is the power of life over death. He didn't have to worry. He didn't have to try to stop death. He said, I just want to go. Just let me go. Let me go. You could hear his heart. He couldn't say the words anymore. But you could hear his heart, his soul say, let me go home. And truly, brothers and sisters, Jesus' power over death gives us a true home we can go to, we can live in today. Now, the call for us believers is that we live like that while we're still living. And we do that by confessing, repenting, and walking. It's that simple. Let's stand together.
Lord Jesus, thank you for your resurrection. Thank you that in that resurrection, and there is, it's not contested. The resurrection isn't contested. There are eyewitness accounts. And those eyewitness accounts reveal something powerful. It's that your resurrection power comes in, moves in. It changes our lives. And Lord, today, this week, let us live with the resolution that life is more powerful than death. That life overcomes sin. And that life overcomes fear. And thank you for taking the sting of death and bringing life to us. In the name of Jesus, amen.